Tyler, can I say something? Uh, you're going to, so go ahead. I just want to say how glad I am that we had already figured out how to do this podcast when we're not in the same place. Otherwise, we'd be in a world of hurt right now. True, but I'm like, oh yeah, podcast, nothing's changed. Quarantine or not. (laughs) It really hasn't, and I appreciate that so much because I don't know if this is your case, but for me, I like that at least one thing hasn't changed and I have one constant. Everything else has changed. But I've got a constant going on right now, and it's being able to do this podcast as we always have, because now is trying times. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, for me personally, I feel like I'm, like, on one hand, more used to it than a lot of people. I mean, listeners, I've been going through some job changes and stuff the past couple weeks, months. So I'm like, I've been quarantining for a couple months now. (laughs) Whatever. So I was like, I was already used to it. So that didn't feel like a big change. And I'm also super, um, like, um, what's the word? Introverted? You get energy from being alone. Yeah, introverted. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, no, people can't come over. (laughs) That sucks. Like, you know, the need to go to a bar or like go to the restaurant be surrounded by people i'm like i'm good that's loud i'm mostly deaf so i mean it's not like i'm having a conversation there anyway i can't hear it yeah well and i'm not a super social person but just for me a lot of the social energy i get is out of going to work like that's my time where i see people i talk to people and i got out a lot of that energy and at home has always been like my myspace your myspace I- including music Old selfie photos from Polaroid cameras, all of it. Including your friend Tom. (laughs) Number one, always. It has been my space, two words. And now it still is because, again, it's just me. But it's like, oh, cool. It's my day space. It's my night space. It's my sleep space. It's, oh, God, okay, can I? All right. I saw someone walking their dog today with gloves on, and I was like, honestly, not a bad idea. So that's the world we're living in right now. But you know what? Let's just, uh, I don't know, embrace each other, lift each other up, share all the shit we're doing. I'm reading, honestly, not as much as I thought I would, but I think it's about to pick up. But yeah. I'm just watching so many Bon Appetit videos and listeners. I don't know if I've mentioned it before on the podcast or just separately. I think you have. (laughs) Pastry Chef makes gourmet whatever. Claire from the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen is a queen, and it's just so good. It's so good. It's one of those things that you're watching it, and you're like, how is this free? Like, how is this on YouTube, and this isn't, like, the Food Channel Network or, like, something? You know, you're making me really want some pastries. Mm. God, I would murder for a Danish. I won't. We're not there with coronavirus yet. We're, like, still two (laughs) weeks (laughs) <laughs> from uh, murdering over danishes but ooh, i'm gonna be ready you're like prepping your plan um speaking uh-huh. of murder hello everyone <laughs> this is blood and wine i'm Brittany, and i'm tyler and you know danishes are worth death no stop saying you're gonna do that <laughs> i'm not going to i'm just gonna i don't know learn how to make them I mean, buy some I- flour I don't know. Yeah, I actually have no idea how to make a Danish. I was actually thinking of what I had in my head was like a nice flaky pastry with like raspberry sauce in it. I don't even know. How is that not a Danish? Danishes are not flaky. I mean, I guess. So you're wanting like a (laughs) croissant Danish. Maybe. 
Okay, I just want dessert, okay? You're just making me want dessert, and but today my dessert would be wine, and I'm also okay with that. Honestly, same. Well, hey, be sure you have checked out our Patreon. We've got some murder minis on there for you to check out. We've got a community over there for you to chat with. Let us know what you think. Um, Our murder minis, if you're enjoying them, totally tell us. I don't know. Just talk to us. We love you. But Mm -hmm. be sure to check out that Patreon. You guys help support us. And honestly, like I said right now, this podcast is one of the things getting me through every day. So I appreciate you guys so, so much. Yeah. And if y'all have not joined Patreon and y'all are looking for more true crime, more entertainment, especially when you have some more downtime, we have, what, like 44, 40-something murder minis there Yep, um, that would take you uh, some time to get through. So just saying, do it. More content. Check it out. Also, make sure that you've subscribed um, to us on your podcast listening platform of choice. That way, every um, Tuesday... That we have a new episode you'll get that notification that it's out it'll be right there and you can start listening to blood and wine right then and there also we're on pandora now have we told you guys yes. that i can't remember yeah. which is weird because i feel like pandora did not tell us we had a listener comment on um our, one of our instagram posts it was like i found y'all through pandora and that was how we found out that we were now on pandora <laughs> Yeah, we had been trying to get on it for a while and had never heard confirmation. But hey, you guys were there. We're on Spotify too. So stream our episodes. Okay, so I picked the topic for this week. And I will say it was a little bit of like an obvious topic. Would you say that this topic is topical? Um, Yes, I would say it's very topical, very relevant. And honestly, I was thinking if we're ever going to do this topic, now is the time. So... Today, we're going to be talking about epidemics and pandemics. And boom, you guys just get ready for some really scary shit. Because honestly, it's kind of scary right now. So there you go. But before we do that, I want wine. Yeah, I mean, I want wine just in general. But uh, for this topic, yeah, no, I'm going to externate it. Want to know a secret? Uh, Sure. I already had like two glasses of wine. See, I haven't, but um, I need to go to the little bodega and get myself another box of wine just to have as my like, you know, backup slash go to. Your quarantine wine? My quarantine wine, because you know my ass is not going to go to the grocery store during this, but I will go to my bodega, which again, I'm just saying if y'all haven't thought about it, those little like local owned gas stations and like little like mini mart type grocery stores... That's where I've been able to find toilet paper fully stocked and all the (laughs) things. And you're also able to support local. And if you're not in a place that's like, don't leave the house or we'll go under martial law, you're also not going to be surrounded by a ton of people because it's a smaller store. So just saying. That's an option. Maybe do that instead of heading to the world's biggest Walmart. But also, grocery stores and pharmacies and whatever are still open when you're... I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> We're not going to be like, no, sorry. If you didn't buy food, you're done. <laughs> you're SOL. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Sashay away. All right, Tyler, what wine did you pick for today's episode? So the wine I'm drinking today is the 2018 Dublin Ranch Cabernet Sauvignon from Horse Heaven Hills in Washington State. And I... I'm very excited. I know I've had a few cabs from the um, Horse Heaven Hills area of Washington. It's 
from what I know, one of the best wine growing regions in Washington. It's kind of mm-hmm. where it becomes very, I don't know, savanna deserty, which is not what you think Washington State, but it's there. It's the yeah. gross part. Like, I don't know, Walla Walla area. Sorry to all our central Washington listeners, but you know, you get it. Area, I think a lot of Merlot is grown there, um, but you can definitely find some cabs. I think so, too. I think it's Merlot heavy in Washington. Yeah, like that's that's what I usually think. Um, this one in particular, it is very full-bodied. It has some smooth tannins and long legs. It's a little bit on the acidic side, as on like the soft to acidic a little bit more but not like crazy acid it has flavors of like dark fruits dark cherry tobacco smoke it's like a very deep cab uh like most cabs it goes really well with like fattier meaty dishes like steaks i always think prime rib probably bacon cheeseburger (laughs) always i will say i was talking to my friend the other day about wine with food or like, and honestly, drinking any alcohol with food. And I would say for the most part, I think I actually lean towards I would rather have my wine after a meal, usually, except with steaks. Or at yeah. least I would rather have it after or I have little opinion on it. But when it comes to like a steak or a meaty dish like that, I would prefer wine with it. Yeah, I that absolutely makes sense. For me, it would be steaks and then also like spicy like Thai dishes when you really just want like mm. a Sauvignon Blanc to go with it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good. That's good. But yeah, sometimes if I think too hard about like the image of like eating and drinking at the same time and it, it grosses me out. You know, those normal everyday things we have to do to survive. Disgusting. People drinking water filthy do you know where that's been Uh, that's the same water that dinosaurs bathed in you're drinking dinosaur bath water honestly if it tastes good it's fine fair but one thing that every review i read on this wine said was you gotta give it time to breathe and i'm impatient as fuck but i do have one of these little aerator spout thing of things that i mentioned probably like 20 episodes ago that i was like i need to start using that today's the day I'm it, really it just jealous. took until episode 99. No, I'm jealous you have that. I still need to get one. I got it a while ago as a gift from a coworker, and I love it. It's a great gift, I will say, for a wine lover and a little like spout aerator. Inexpensive, fantastic gift. Absolutely. I love that you're still using your like IKEA bottle opener. It's the one that always makes me think you're gonna take out the take like off the top of your bottle. I know, but um, it just, it works so well. Does it, though? If you're, like, having to struggle? <sighs> well, doesn't listen, that mean you have to <laughs> want the wine. <laughs> you do, real bad. There we go. Ooh, that smells fruity. All right, let's see this beautiful cab. Oh, that Ooh. sounds weird. That's going to be a different sound. Those aerators, it takes longer to pour your glass like it does like i didn't just fill a gallon no you actually have a normal size wine glass which is i'm impressed Ooh, that smells good okay 
Tell me about your wine. I picked the 2018 Vicordia Ribera del Duero Joven Tempranillo, and it is one that's about $11 at Total Wine. I went to Total Wine last weekend to do like a quarantine stock up on a lot more wine than I would normally buy. So literally right now I have more bottles than I've ever had. They're not all for the podcast either. Some of them are for me. I guess technically they're all for me. I mean, yeah. Some of them you share with everyone else. Um, In spirit, though. In words. But this one is your classic Tempranillo. It's actually 100% Tempranillo grapes. And so it's got lots of elegant freshness and fruitiness that comes off of it. It's got a tradition of the terroir that it's built in, the hard work that the vineyard put into doing it, and also love. It's filled with lots of Tempranillo love. It looks like the Riberia del Duero is where it's from. Like, that's the area of Spain. And I didn't look that up. But it's 14% alcohol. It's red wine, obviously. And look at this label. It's just like a series of the letter V. And I'm obsessed with it. It kind of looks like one of those, only 2% of people can find the A in this. And you're like, it's right there. (laughs) You know those Facebook things that I hate? You would hate those. Um, But it's a classic Tempranillo from Spain that I'm really excited in having. We've done Tempranillos before. They're lighter. They're delicious. They're Tyler's favorite wine. And I can't wait to get into it. I am excited to get into this wine. And we're going to see if I can use this key the right way. Sometimes I struggle with it, but then once I get it going, it's perfect because it has the two notches that you pull with and like, boom. It's why That was very easy. Yeah, it's why this is the kind that um, in my head a waiter uses because they have to open the bottle quickly and not stand there too awkwardly while the um, patrons are like, okay, yeah, can you just pour it? I really want the wine. Also, it's tiny and fits in your apron is the main reason. Sure. Let me tell you, if I could have had one of the, like, grip lever ones in my apron, <laughs> I would have used that. Been like, hey guys, so y'all's first time here, here's your wine. So I poured that, like, really quickly. It was like a Tyler pour. <laughs> it was. It glugged out like crazy. It was like, glug, 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 glug. That smells like a Tempranillo, and I'm excited about it. Do we want to try these wines? No, I, I was just going to look at them. <laughs> oh, okay. You can look at yours. I'm going to drink mine. Uh, oh, I, you know, that does sound like a better idea. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Cheers. Ooh, that is smooth and it's got like baking spices. I'm totally tasting like some cinnamon and heavy fruit. Oh. Not what I pictured. It's definitely fruitier than some Tempranillos I'm used to. Huh. This is a very, like, concentrated cab. It. Um, what do you mean? Ooh, it's one that um, I think you'd pair it with a meal more often, or like some okay. kind of meat. It's just, it's very dense and intense. It's good. I mean, maybe it does, I have the aerator, so I don't know if that technically counts as like 30 minutes of breathing. Oh, I don't know. But I don't think it needs to breathe more because the flavors are open and I'm getting a lot of them. It's just like, I don't know, I wasn't expecting it to be that like punch you in the mouth. Kind of like how a a cab franc is. Oh, wait, really? It's that heavy? Yeah. 
Interesting. Well, like I said, mine is a lot fruitier, which is why I get why it says it's like fruit and freshness are right there in the front because it's true. It's, let me smell it again. The smell is not as strong. It's more of those like black fruits and and notes of cherry. Not really cranberry though, because it's not bitter. That's a nice smooth wine. I, this is a very good solo drinking wine. So kind of perfect. Nice. Yeah. Mine is, um... It's a good, like, I would say actually solo drinking, late night watching a movie in, like, a long silk nightgown that's, like, half draped over the couch, and you're wearing your diamonds and pearls, and you have a glass of this. So you mean Wednesday night? Yeah. I mean, that's that's just, like, my before-bed routine, is I put on my, oh no, my wealthy husband was just found murdered by someone gown. I mean, obviously, we all have those gowns. Mm-hmm. Mine's actually in the wash, though. Yeah, well, you had to wear it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, you know, Thursday nights. Those are my gown nights. Insurance scam nights? I don't know. Um. Anyway, so we've got our wine. We've got our very viral topic. Ha, 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 ha. No, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that one two um, gloved thumbs down. But at least you're wearing gloves. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we've got our topic, we've got our wine. So Tyler, what what case did you pick for today? I have a feeling I know. I mean, yeah, it's a case that I think we first mentioned in episode two or three. And it From only the beginning took days. Us, you know, like 90 some odd episodes to get there. But this time, Buck and Mary's back, because I'm doing Typhoid Mary. You have wanted to do this case for so long. And like I said, as crazy as everything is right now, now's the time. Your time has come, Tyler. Mm. Your time has come. Mary's time has fucking come. I was like, She's this back. ain't about me. This is about Mary. <laughs> it's all about Mary. Um, oh my god, isn't okay. that that one movie? Or was that the joke you were making? No, but it fits. Okay. that It's something about Mary. That's the movie. Oh, okay. I- Not all about, just something. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's about Mary. Okay. Well, in this case, this is the sequel. This all about Mary. Because fucking Mary's back. Sources I used. Her article from Wikipedia for Mary Milan. An article from the Smithsonian Magazine by Veronique Greenwood. An article in the Washington Post by Jillian Brockell. And then Encyclopedia Britannica. So is it interesting or not? Maybe, but I had no idea what her last name was. I just know her as Typhoid Mary, obviously. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think pretty much everyone knows her as Typhoid Mary, or even knows the phrase Typhoid Mary without knowing that, yeah, that's a real person. So, Mary Milan, she was born in around 1868 in Cookstown in what's now Northern Ireland. At the time, it was just Ireland. And... When she was a young teen, when she Des. was a young what hog? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what song is in my head, too. <laughs> no. Um, when she was, like, early teens, mid-teens, in the early 1880s, she immigrated to the U.S. And she lived with her aunt and her uncle in the U.S. for a while, like, in New York City. And it was there that she kind of started to develop her love of cooking and her skill for it. And how, where she actually started working as a cook for different families. Oh, wow. As a teenager? Yeah. It, I mean, it started as a teen. 
And then she she actually started after a while becoming really well known for her cooking. Like she was good. So she started to get a reputation with like some of the richer families in New York. Because at the time, that was kind of how you got jobs with rich people. Was someone who works there is like, oh, I heard about this girl Mary. Her potato soup bomb as fuck. She's Irish. It makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Tyler. <laughs> Listen, we're, we're Irish. You know I can say that. We fucking love potatoes. They're amazing. We are Irish, but not as much as I thought we were. And I hate that you brought that up because I'm still not over my DNA results, okay? Like, I'm having a hard time with it, all right? Yeah, there's a... Yeah, yeah I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but whatever i can still say that irish people love potatoes everyone loves potatoes i'm growing potatoes on my balcony exactly my point I love potatoes. exactly anyways so she had a great reputation people loved her cooking she started working for rich people and from 1900 to 1907 she was a cook for seven different families in the new york city area like she'd work for one for a while and then something would happen, and she'd move on to the next one. Uh-oh. So, in 1900, she was working in Mamaronek, and just two weeks after starting her job there, the residents started developing typhoid fever. So, the next year, 1901, she moved to Manhattan, where the family she was working for also started developing fevers and diarrhea, and the laundress uh, who worked there at that family estate actually died. So what are, like, the symptoms of typhoid fever? I actually don't know. I feel like that's one of those diseases I know from Oregon Trail, but not really. That's cholera, right? Wait, uh, what's I think the one you always typhoid. Get... Dysentery is what you're thinking. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking, which also involves diarrhea. Basically, if you had diarrhea in 1900, you're just not in a good place. I mean... Honestly, that's true, though. That's how most people died of diseases was dehydration because of diarrhea. Because I think nowadays it's not as severe if you can go to the hospital because you can get an IV and Mm -hmm. stuff. But back then, I mean, you have very bad diarrhea and you could be dead in a day and a half or two. Jesus, that's really scary. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, because how many times do we as people have diarrhea and don't go to the doctor? Listen, I'm lactose intolerant, so. (laughs) I remember getting really sick one time in college with like vomiting and diarrhea. And thankfully, I went to the doctor. I just felt so bad that I went to the doctor and they were like, oh, you're severely dehydrated and immediately hooked me up to an IV. Yeah. And things like that scare me, to be honest, because I'm like, oh, well, I felt bad. And I just was like, well, I should probably go because it was right there. But now the doctor is not right there. I'm just saying, oh, like, I go you're not distance. in college anymore. Got it. Yes. It's not on campus. I was like, I mean, what? Doctors are still around. We didn't no. go back in time. No, I'm just talking about like, it's not like literally like, I'm like, well, let me take a three minute walk and I'll I'll be there. But anyway, yeah, dehydration is really scary. And so, y'all, here's my PSA of the night. If you've got diarrhea, drink some water. Like, Drink some water, drink some Gatorade, some Pedialyte, things with electrolytes. Yes. Get that shit in. And if you're unable to drink water and you have diarrhea and or vomiting, then you go to the doctor. But typhoid, it is like really high fever, diarrhea, and you can develop like lung problems as well. It's in the, like, salmonella family, but I don't know if that's just, like, 
in the classification of the bacteria or if it's related more. I don't know. You're not a scientist? You don't have the answers? I am, you know, I'm actually not a scientist. I'm sorry. So, at this house, this is the first person that she's been in contact with cooking for that has died. After that, she went to work for a lawyer. After seven of the eight people in the house became ill, she left. Oh my god. Wait, is she noticing any of this? Honestly, that's one of the things that's up for debate. And it kind of gets into the morality of Typhoid Mary. Okay. I personally see her um, in a lot more of a tragic light than I think she's normally portrayed. Because in my mind, this is the early 1900s. She is a single woman supporting herself, possibly also supporting her aunt and uncle as a cook. And so people are getting sick. She's not cooking for them anymore because they don't want food. They want, I don't know, soup and stuff. So she's probably out of a job and like, well, shit, if they're sick and not eating, I need to go find a family to cook for. I don't know if she's actually making the connection. Actually... I'm 99% sure she's not making any connection between them getting sick and it being her cooking. Because also, just in general, early 1900s, people are getting sick. Sanitation's not great. I guess that's a really good point. Because looking back, I wouldn't, you know, if I were Mary, I would not have the thought of, oh, I have a virus or I have something I'm giving them. It would be like, how am I accident? Like, why is my cooking making everyone ill? I like I would have that concern of like, well, what am I, what am I doing? I I watched this. I well, I don't even think it's going that far in her mind because people just get sick and people get things like typhoid. I don't think she's even being like, is my cooking doing it? I think she's like, God damn it, people keep getting sick. Like, it's just this spur of really bad luck. Yeah. I mean, at this point in history, I don't even think doctors and surgeons washed their hands. And they went from, like, surgery to surgery being like, ew, blood is gross. Let me dig my hands in this person. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I forget this was the time that they didn't even wash their hands, which is, you know, I've been watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy again. Like, the early stuff, the good stuff. And thankfully, they scrub real hard. Yeah. I mean... For fake doctors. Also, real doctors wash their hands now. They do. But yeah, let's... uh, I think it's safe to say, though, Mary was not washing her hands. She had some nasty hands. Can we just say, wash your hands? It's important. It's an easy thing. Also, if you weren't doing it before, what the fuck's wrong with you? Uh, Yeah, just wash your hands. That's gross if you just don't. I'm sorry to be so, like, brass, but, like, come on, (laughs) wash your hands. Oh, I wasn't even thinking, like, coronavirus. I was just thinking, like, wash your fucking hands. But I also get freaked out by, like, textures and shit. So if I'm, like, making a sandwich and get peanut butter on my hands or something and don't wash them, I'm going to have a panic attack. So that's just me. You know, I absolutely hate having sticky things on my hands. Oh, my God. It just, I can't even talk about it. It's so bad. Anyways, uh, Mary does not have that same issue. She is... Totally fine having some gross-ass hands. But you know what? So is literally everyone else in 1900. Truth. So she just left working for the lawyer's family because seven of eight of them got sick. And then she takes a position in Oyster Bay in Long Island. And it this is in 1906. And within just two weeks, 
10 of the 11 family members were hospitalized with typhoid. Oh my gosh. And she's still not, it's not clicking? No. I mean, she changed jobs again. And basically the story repeated itself with three more households. So this same thing is just following her everywhere she goes. Yeah. But again, I, I do think it's important to note that in looking at this of, oh, this is happening everywhere she goes, this kind of high level, yeah, we can see a pattern. But I think ground level, people getting sick all the time is not that unusual. At this point, well, though, it's like starting to raise suspicions. But also, it's not like, you know, she has a resume and references. And when she gets hired in a new place, they're calling the old family. Hey, what happened here? Oh, that's a really good point. And she's also not sick. So why would she make that connection? Yeah. She then got a job working for a wealthy New York banker, Charles Henry Warren and his family. They had a house they rented in Oyster Bay. It was like their summer home. And in 1906, Mary went with them. And from August 27th to September 3rd, so like a week, Six of the 11 family members came down with typhoid. This is one of the things, the fact that this happening in Oyster Bay, that really set off red flags. Because typhoid happening in New York, okay, there's a billion people, everyone getting sick. Oyster Bay, though, is not a big city. And it's like a rich people city. So the doctors in the area were like, okay, no, this is a red flag. This is weird. So in late 1906, one of the families she was working with actually hired an investigator, or they hired someone to look into it, George Soper. And this says he was a typhoid researcher. I also saw a lot of things that he was like a sanitation analyst. And I think at the time, that's like the same thing. I could see that. That makes sense. So he wasn't like a government worker or like a detective or anything like that. And in his investigating, Soper, he thought it was Mary. He started, like, kind of investigating into her and investigating into, like, this family in general. Because I think at first, the family wasn't trying to target Mary or anything. They're just like, why are we suddenly sick? And he looked into it and found that the family had changed cooks on August 4th. And just about three weeks later... That's when the typhoid epidemic broke out. He also found that after she left, so did the outbreak. Mary was described by the family and by others she'd worked for as, you know, this Irish woman. She's about 40. She was tall. She seemed perfectly healthy. So what's going on? Yeah. I mean, lots of questions around this. And especially if it's like 1900, like, God, only imagine the questions they would have. Yeah. And finally, he was able to locate who he thought Mary Malone was, who he thought this person was. Because again, he's trying to find a 40-year-old Irish cook in New York City. It's it's not like she has a social security number or a driver's license or things like that. I don't know how people found people in the 1900s. You know, that's a really good point. I've never thought about that, of how difficult it would be to find someone, slash how easy it would be to disappear. Yeah. Well, because she would leave after these outbreaks and go to a different family and then go to a new one. So it's hard to track her down. But 
Soper did learn of like an active typhoid outbreak that was happening in a family who lived in a penthouse on Park Avenue, whose cook was Mary Milan. In this house, two of the servants were hospitalized, and the daughter of the family actually died of typhoid. So on a, this day in March in 1907, Soper showed up at the house, met with Mary, and he just goes up to her and is like, hey, I need you to give me a little bit of your blood, some of your pee, <laughs> and some of your feces. She's probably like, excuse me, and your name is what? Um, That's exactly how she reacted. She was like, it fucking excuse me, this random ass guy being like, give me a little bit of piss. Like, fuck <laughs> no. And apparently she grabbed like a carving fork. And was like, get the oh my God. fuck away from me. Which, same. Fair. If anyone tries to <laughs> ask for a jar of your shit, stab him with a carving fork. I think that's totally justified. That's not legal advice. Like, don't sue me. But um, I, I, w- I think that's fine. My God. I mean, I get that. Again, like, I'm just trying to picture this scene. He, like, comes in. He's like, hi, are you Mary? She's like, yes. And he's like, are you the cook here? Yes. Great. I'm going to need some of your blood, feces, and urine. Um, Slams door in face. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think he also uh, maybe wasn't the best at socializing because from things I'm seeing, I'm pretty sure it actually was a lot more like, Mary Mallon, right? Yes. I need you to shit in this. Give me your blood. Oh my God. She's like, I Get would the again. Fuck away from me and then goes back to door. sticking her dirty ass hands in the food no to the sound effect <laughs> you don't you don't want that sound effect of her just dipping her fingers into the mashed potatoes it's disgusting well anyways yeah she was not about that and she's not giving him any samples so his next best thing he is gonna do a five-year history on the people she's worked for and everything he found that of the eight families that had hired her as a cook, seven of them had come down with typhoid fever. Oh, wow. So he sees this, and he's like, I'm gonna go back, and I'm gonna show her this evidence. I'm gonna bring my doctor friend, and then she'll poop in this bag for me. Like, that's (laughs) perfect. He comes there with his doctor, and she's like, no! Like, get the fuck away from me. And I'm not gonna shit in the bag. I'm not a dog. I mean, he... (laughs) It sounded like he was getting, like, creepy. And also not explaining it to her. Well, that's the thing. If he is not giving her the background, like, why does he expect her to cooperate? Well, and he's also, from what it sounds like, being real fucking stalkery. Because at a later point, she was actually, Mary was in the hospital. I don't know what for, but it wasn't typhoid. And he shows up at the hospital and he's like, I'm going to write a book about you and how you're killing all these people and giving them typhoid, but I'll give you some of the money. And she's like, oh my God. fuck off, dude. Leave me the fuck alone. And she actually like locked herself in her bathroom in her hospital room. Oh my he's God. He's like fucking he, stalking her. Which his intentions are good, but his, the way he's going about it is really messed up. Well, because he is telling her, he's like, you have typhoid. And she's like, no, I don't. I have never had typhoid. I have never had a fever or diarrhea. Like, I don't have typhoid. Because 
she didn't have any symptoms of typhoid. Yeah, because she's clearly a carrier. Yeah, she is an asymptomatic carrier, but also the that idea is not really well understood at this point. It's also not right. widely known. I mean, even still, I don't think it's widely known or understood by the general public. If you were like, oh, no. Susan, she's given everyone the flu, but she's never been sick a day in her life. You'd be like, what? And it's probably not Susan. I know. And it's interesting. And it's something that we should all be aware of, that you can be a carrier without symptoms. And it's that is scary. Mm-hmm. And like, I literally watched Contagion recently, because obviously, and I talked about that in a murder mini recently. But um, Matt Damon's character... He is around, like, his family gets sick and dies from this random disease, and he doesn't. And it's because he he can't get it. And they they actually never really explain that, because the whole movie, he's basically, like, the only person that doesn't, which you would think would lead them towards some type of something or other. It doesn't, because that movie has holes everywhere. But scary, scary accurate will say true that is uh the one thing i remember about the movie other than the fact that it is like valentine's day level look we fit nine thousand celebrities in this and you're gonna see them for 14 seconds each didn't like that yeah like you literally are like oh my god that's my favorite actress and then she dies three seconds later and you're like oh okay never mind you're like, oh my god, Kate Winslet. Okay, bye, Kate Winslet. Julia Ro- Oh, no, okay. Nicole Kit. No, all right. Uh, mm, okay, okay, bye. Uh, side note, not all of those actresses are in the movie, but one is. Can you decide? <laughs> we'll be right back. Um, this is a blood and wine quiz time. Movie <laughs> trivia. I would fail at that. Anyways. I love that we're talking about a movie you've actually seen. I feel like this may have never happened before. It it <laughs> might not have. Because of Kate Winslet. Because you love her. I love her. And it's also Good. like a disaster movie, which <laughs> are the kind of like... But yeah, no. Other than the fact that it was 10,000 celebrities every 10 seconds, the thing that's freaked me out most in the movie was how all the scientists uh who reviewed it afterwards were like yeah no that's that's not even like dramatized for hollywood really all that much i was like oh shit but anyways we're not talking about contagion we're talking about mary mary being an asymptomatic carrier she has typhoid she has the bacteria in her she's able to spread it and also never gets symptoms And the other thing about typhoid, though, is that heat kills it. So if you're cooking your food, there's not really a ton to worry about. Even if you have your nasty-ass fingers touching the steak, well, you're cooking it, it's going to kill it. But Mary was very well known for her peach ice cream that contained a ton of raw peaches. Oh, no. And she also just didn't wash her hands ever. So she has nasty-ass hands touching all these peaches putting them in the ice cream giving it to the kids and the family side note fresh peach ice cream sounds so good it really does and i don't know why my mouth started to water a little bit when you're like peach ice cream topped with typhoid and i'm like i'd risk it no i wouldn't but peach ice cream sounds good i didn't realize typhoid was something that would go away with the heat Mm -hmm. like cooking which makes sense because bacteria goes away when you heat it so uh, and it's a type, it's a bacteria, it's a salmonella bacteria, so. You know, sometimes I forget about the difference in virus and bacteria. 
and that there there really is a difference in the two and depending on what an illness is like virus you're kind of like on your own if there's not a vaccine (laughs) and if it's a bacteria you know sometimes an antibiotic or just get some amoxicillin (laughs) you just pump that into you and you're good to go honestly you get back from fire island and you're like i'm just gonna get some amoxicillin i know i made it i touched a lot of things i should probably take it for my own health (laughs) anyways (laughs) yeah She's making some gross-ass peach ice cream. She's giving everyone typhoid, but she's not showing any signs. So she's like, no, I don't fucking have it, y'all. And at this point, she started getting kind of media famous. And it's when people started calling her Typhoid Mary. I didn't realize that was while she was still alive. Yeah, it gets a lot worse because then she was thrown in prison. Oh, shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they were like, give us your samples. And she's like, I'm not shitting in a bag for you. And they were like, stop cooking. And she's like, I will literally starve to death if I stop. Like, this is my job. And so they were like, well, if you're not going to, we're putting you in jail. And so in jail, she was forced to give uh, a stool sample and urine samples. And authorities were like, hey, Mary, we can let you go if you let us cut out your gallbladder. Because their thought was, like, that's where the bacteria was living and how it was a thing that she had, but, like, always had, instead of, like, having it for two weeks. Wait, is that really a thing? I think so. I'm not sure. Because it really sounds like some, like, 19th century bullshit, but I'm not a doctor, so I can't say that. I just know there are some things that lay dormant in your body in weird places, but... That sounds weird, but I'll I'll go with it. Yeah. But she was like, no, you're not putting me under the knife and taking out my gallbladder. Because she's like, I don't have this disease. This is a witch hunt that I do not understand why. I very clearly check my temperature, check my cough, check my goddamn poop. Not diarrhea. I don't have typhoid. Leave me alone. You're not cutting into me. And again, she was like, I'm not going to stop being a cook. That's how I feed myself and pay rent. And also, I have no reason not to, because I don't have goddamn typhoid. But the New York uh, health inspector determined that, indeed, she was a carrier. And so she was held in isolation for three years in a clinic on North Brother Island. Oh my god, did they think like that length of time would get it out of her system? Or were they literally like just trying to flush it? I think they were planning on holding her there forever. Oh my god, Mary! And apparently, everyone talks about North Brother Island. Apparently, it's where they filmed the fight with the Green Goblin in the, like, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. It also used to be a smallpox hospital. The ruins are still there. Like, you can... I don't think you're allowed to go on the island. But, if it's smallpox, I don't know why you would want to. Well, fair. But, I mean, the ruins are still there. I, I think... just don't know enough about viruses and illnesses to, like know that like oh no no it's it's dead well i'm still not walking somewhere where they're like everyone here had smallpox because i'm like that's in the dirt some say if you go down to the basement you can still hear their screams oh my god tyler oh my god i don't know (laughs) it's that's the same mental thing as you saying like you get smallpox because three thousand years ago the egyptians here had the smallpox i don't know whatever anywho They've isolated her. She's in quarantine on North Brother Island. 
But eventually, the New York State Commissioner of Health, after three years, was like, you know, I feel like people who are just disease carriers probably shouldn't just be kept in isolation and imprisoned, basically. So as long as she agrees to stop being a cook and, like, take reasonable steps to not transmit it to others, like wash her hands, she can be free. And so... On February 19th of 1910, Mary was like, okay, I will not be a cook anymore, and I will take hygienic precautions, I'll do what I have to, if you will release me. And they released her from quarantine. So, once she was released, they did help her get a job as, like, a laundress, but again, like, laundresses at this time, it's not like, oh washing clothes, folding them. You're working with, like, harsh, burning-your-skin-off chemicals. Oh. Like, hauling, like, 50-pound things of clothes. Like, that's hard fucking work. Yes. And she was making a lot less money than she did cooking. It was not what she enjoyed. It was hard. It was dangerous. And so she did it for several years, but at a point she was like, I can't do this anymore. And she changed her name to Mary Brown and became a cook again. Oh, no. Oh, God. I'm scared because I'm like, was three years enough to get rid of it? But I'm guessing no. It was not. Because for the next five years, she worked in a bunch of different kitchens. And wherever she worked, typhoid followed. Again, she was changing jobs frequently. And she changed her name. So they weren't able to find her. But in 1915, this is when she caused her biggest outbreak because she was actually working at the Sloan Hospital for Women in New York City as like a hospital chef cook. (gasps) Oh my god, Mary, no. Yeah, because again, she still does not think she has it. She still thinks it was just like a witch hunt and she was like, Sure, I'll do these things if you let me out. But I get that. Like, at this point in time, someone saying you have something when you're showing no symptoms, when there are still medical advances that are happening daily and slash that are still a ways off from happening, why would you believe someone if someone's like... It would be a lot more like if someone told you you have chicken pox and you're like, I literally don't, I'm not itching... Not red. Because typhoid was extremely contagious, it sounds. Very contagious and very obvious. Like, you would always get the fever. You'd always get the diarrhea and stuff. I mean, it was like, oh, this is what happens to you on day four. It was like a scheduled list of how you're going to go through the disease. And she's like, I don't have any of that. And also, if I did, if you aren't dead, you're usually done with typhoid after like two weeks, so... It's very interesting that she has seemed to carry this for so long, and I'm very confused by that. Mm, same. But this outbreak at the hospital in New York, 25 people were infected and two died. But again, she left after that happened. This time, though, police were able to find her and they arrested her because she took was taking food to, like, a friend who was sick or something, she's bringing her friend food um, on Long Island, and police caught her. After they arrested her, they returned her to quarantine because she was like, no, you're not 
putting me under the knife. You're not giving me surgery and taking out my gallbladder. No. So on March 27th of 1915, she was back in quarantine. And I say quarantine, it's isolation. Yeah, she's totally in isolation. It's essentially prison. For the rest of her life, she was confined in isolation. She became kind of a minor celebrity in ways. Um, Sometimes the media would interview her, but they'd always call her Typhoid Mary. It'd always be questions like, so what's it like being Typhoid Mary? And they were told like, oh, don't even like accept water from her. Like, don't go near her. She's dangerous. And Her entire life? Her entire life. She eventually got enough freedom to be allowed to work as, like, a technician in the lab on the island, washing bottles and, like, cleaning things. But she was very much still imprisoned. And six years before she died, she had a stroke, and that paralyzed her. But on November 11th of 1938, when she was 69, she died of pneumonia. So 23 years Plus the earlier stint. So in all 26 years, she spent in isolation in quarantine. Some of the uh, research I found said that a um, autopsy was conducted and they found live typhoid bacteria in her gallbladder. I also found some that said that an autopsy never happened and she was just cremated. So I don't know if the gallbladder actually played a role or what. You know, this is crazy because what do you do? Like, wait, the fact that typhoid, I guess, was something that, for lack of a better phrase, lived in her forever. How do you handle that? You can't just fucking quarantine someone for the rest of their life. Like, that's not okay. Yeah. And I would imagine if it lived in her, yeah, it would have caused less risk if she had, like, washed her hands and had good hygiene. But if it's inside her all along, then it's not like that's going to take care of it. You can't always be washing your hands. If I don't you washed know. your hands and then made the peach ice cream, is that okay? I know. I can't imagine it would be. Like, well, like, what's the level of hygiene that makes this okay? Or is it literally nothing? Also, is soap at this time literally like bacon fat and baking soda? Also, is she literally the only person ever who has been an asymptomatic carrier of typhoid? Like, no. how is this not a thing? There have been others. I think nowadays typhoid has, like antibiotics that she that could have been given to her to kill the bacteria in her okay that's what i was trying to get at is that now there has to be some type of cure for someone who is asymptomatic to where they don't have to go through the torture Mm -hmm. of being isolated their entire life it being imprisoned for carrying an illness you don't even have i am so frustrated at this me too And there were other healthy typhoid carriers that were identified in the first, like, quarter of the 20th century. Tony Labella, who was an Italian immigrant who presumably caused over 100 cases with five deaths. There was an Adirondack guide who was nicknamed Typhoid John, who had infected 36 people and two of them died And there was also Alphonse Cotillis, who was, like, owned a restaurant and a bakery. But um, for Mary, among the infections that she caused, at least three deaths are attributed directly to her. 
But because of her changing her name, her moving around, working in a bunch of different families, some have estimated that she may have caused over 50 deaths. But today, typhoid Mary is a colloquial term for anyone who either they know they are or not um, are spreading disease or some other kind of like bad thing. But um, I feel like in general, Mary Milan is viewed, you know, typhoid Mary, this like stupid lady, like, oh my god, what a monster. And I'm torn because my very first instinct is like, well, first off, She's not really been given any believable evidence that, yeah, she has it and she is just asymptomatic and she just, Mm -hmm. she can't quit what she's doing to live. That's her job. But also, she did make the choice to go back to cooking, knowing at least what they told her she had done. So, I don't know. I wouldn't say that that means she's stupid. Oh, no, I don't don't think she's, like, stupid or a monster. No. No, I know you don't. But I would, I mean, she just was trying to make a living. And what choice did she have? She was trying to make a living. She didn't have a lot of choices. But, you know, she still did choose instead to stick by her guns instead of listening to the doctors, the experts. Yeah. And do this. So, I'm, like, double-edged. But I think... I think it's much more like tragedy than her being like a monster or any kind of malicious person. But it's extremely tragic. Yeah. But uh, that is the case of Mary Malone, also known as Typhoid Mary. You know, I didn't know all of that. I knew bits and pieces, but it's so. I don't know. I guess what I'm stuck on, and obviously because I've brought it up multiple times, is just the fact that she was a carrier. And didn't know it, and they had no way to really prove that to her. Yeah, and I think at the time it was still, like, being discovered. Exactly. Oh, you can be asymptomatic and still have it. So it's not like if you said that to someone now, where you can have examples, like Typhoid Mary, to be like, no, see, this happens. There wasn't any of that before. There wasn't any kind of knowledge that that could happen. And even, like, the idea of, oh, well, some people get it and they don't get it as bad, but they're still sick. You know, they still do have a fever and diarrhea and stuff. So, yeah. Well, that's one thing that's just so crazy is how symptoms affect people differently. And this is, I mean, something we're dealing with right now, how there are people that could have it and not like really have it, but they have it. All right. Tell me about the case you chose for today's episode for your pandemics and epidemics. Well, obviously, with this being about epidemics and pandemics, it's all about the way diseases spread. But one thing that I think is interesting is how this is almost a chronological episode, because I am doing the 1918 Spanish influenza, which happens towards the end of yours. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. Mary was totally... Like, had been in quarantine second time for just a couple years when Spanish influenza happened. Yeah, which honestly probably saved her from it. Yeah. So the sources I used, I used a couple of articles from History.com, an article from the CDC, and an article from Stanford. So the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, it was the deadliest in history 
at least to this point, and it infected an estimated 500 million people worldwide, which was about a third of the planet's population. It's a lot of fucking people. It killed an estimated 20 to 50 million victims, which there's a big variance in those numbers, but that included 675,000 Americans, which is more people than died in World War I. So World War I killed about 18 million people, 11 million of those were military, and 7 million of those civilians, which those numbers are astronomical. But when you talk about the Spanish flu, 20 to 50 million. Shit. I mean, just the American deaths, that's all of Boston gone. And more people died of this strand of the flu in a single year than four years of the Black Death bubonic plague from 1347 to 1351. And that was, that also killed like a third of the world. But just the increase in population, you know, there are more people as time goes on. But isn't that crazy? Because you always hear about the Black Plague. And like people are always talking about that. And this one was like, uh uh-uh. No, we killed more. I think, the flu. It said we. Yeah, the flu was like me and my sisters. No, I think one of the scariest things, or not scariest, but most interesting things about the Black Death and the Blue Bubonic Plague is if you look at like population graphs of like the world population from antiquity to now, you can see a dip. And it's one of the only times in history there's a like clear and obvious dip in people because so many people died from the black death and then you hear stories about like you know it killed like a third of europe or something and what that actually means is there are towns that lost 80 percent of their people i know and isn't it the like ring around the rosy that's Mm -hmm. the one that's about the bubonic plague which by the way if you're teaching your kids that nursery rhyme just know the origins it's creepy I ring the rosy, and I drive it low, and I pick up on a posy, and it's Corona. You know, something like that. I mean, yeah, that is the 2020 version of Ring Around the Rosy. Yeah. I mean, thank you. Uh, my mixtape is coming out soon. So a background. What's the flu? Now, I know we've all had the flu, but I just want to tell you how the flu spreads. Honestly, Good information to have. So influenza, or the flu, it's a virus that attacks the respiratory system. The flu is highly contagious, so when someone who has it coughs, sneezes, or talks, there are some respiratory droplets, your spit, that come out of your mouth and into the air, and then someone else can breathe those in. So Literally, you don't have to cough on someone, you just have to talk next to them or breathe next to them. And as much as we hate to talk about it because it seems weird and gross, you have spit coming out of your mouth every time you open it. So know that there are germs coming out of your mouth if you have the flu. Well, yeah, that's so gross. It is, but science. (laughs) The fact that kissing or making out with people is like the early stage of relationships And in my mind, mouths are probably, like, the grossest part on a person's body. At least one of. They're up there. Mouths are gross. That's where you eat. And yeah, (laughs) here everyone is, just mashing faces together all the time. You know, you don't know this person. They just decided to dance up on you two and a half minutes ago. There's not even been one full song. But there you are, making out with them, tongues everywhere. That's gross. 
you don't know when they last brush their teeth. God, that's true. But also, it doesn't just take the swapping of spit, because someone who has the flu can just touch something, and the virus is then on whatever they touched, and then someone else touches that same thing, and then touches their mouth, or their eyes, or their nose, and Uh, they can get it. uh, I will say one thing that that just made me think of, that I don't think I've heard any guidance on, is like, elevator numbers. Like, the, the... you know, oh, I want to go on the elevator. I haven't heard anyone be like, press those with your elbow. But maybe we should. Uh, Yeah, I live in an apartment. I'm definitely not hitting that with my finger. I mean, I'm using, I have like, been. my arm, my elbow, sometimes the plastic dog poop bag I'm holding. Oh, smart. I've been touching it with my finger, but maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'll get the roads. Also, this is literally why they say stop touching your fucking face. And I know it's really hard because anytime someone says stop touching your face, your face itches everywhere. And then you basically start voguing. You just, you need to scratch it. They're like, don't touch your face. And you're like, but my nose itches. And they're like, don't touch your face. And you're like, but the tear duct in my eye, the corner of my eye, it itches so much. And they're like, don't touch your face. And you're like, but my cheek. And then they're like, don't touch your face. And you're like, but I'm putting on an Aztec clay mask. Uh, wash your hands before you touch face. And it's hard. I get that. But be careful. So when it comes to the Spanish flu in particular, what started it? The Spanish flu was caused by the H1N1 virus, which had genes of aviation origin. So Avian? Aviation. No, it was airplanes. <laughs> Does the airplanes actually uh, crossbred with the birds and that made people and that's where people come from. Exactly. I'm glad you're following. Okay. Avian origin. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> it wasn't airplanes. Well, it when was you said birds. aviation, I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, people flying from one place to the other. That yeah. makes sense. And then I was like, not in 1918. No, not then. So, yes. Okay, birds. However, it's unknown exactly where the particular strain of the flu came from that caused this pandemic, but the 1918 flu was first observed in Europe, America, and areas of Asia before it started to spread just everywhere in the world in just a matter of months. I wonder what that's like. Guess we never knew. Yeah, I will say, side note, that is one thing about my case, is if you take every time I say Spanish flu and replace it with COVID-19, there you go. So, a little creepy. It is what it is. Just take your precautions and here we go. Despite the fact that the 1918 flu was not isolated in one place, it did become known as the Spanish flu around the world. And this is because Spain was hit particularly hard by the disease. They lost so many people. And I mean, like I said earlier, so many people were lost in the entire world. But it hit them really hard. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's called the Spanish flu. Well, I I think that's just something that people, or not people, but that it's easy to forget when you see things. It's like 10% of people got it and it affected this much. That doesn't mean that everywhere 10% of people got it. There are places right. that are were so hit so much harder. Yeah, it's not an even spread. With the Spanish flu, the mortality rate was really high in people younger than 5, people aged 20 to 40, and then people who were 65 and older. So if you were in your 50s, you were one of those lucky groups. <laughs> I know. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. 
So, like, 10-year-olds and 50-year-olds were the only people safe. Running the world. No, one thing that was really interesting about this strand of the flu is the high mortality rate in healthy people aged 20 to 40. This was really unique and unusual because these are people that are, quote-unquote, in the prime of their life, but this flu was taking them down. That was one of the largest groups of fatalities, 20 to 40. Because of the fact that the Spanish flu coincided with the end of World War I, 40% of the U.S. Navy was hit with the flu, while 36% of the Army became ill as well. Shit. So when you think about World War I and all of the troops moving around the world in all these crowded ships and trains... They were just helping spread the virus. Well, and it's not only is it one that has a higher mortality rate for younger healthy people, it's also happening at a time and in a scenario when those young healthy people are everywhere. They're everywhere because the war is happening. Yeah. Oh my god. So a lot of humanity was feeling the effect of this strain of the flu and basically nowhere was safe. Anyone could get the flu. Even President Woodrow Wilson reportedly got the flu in early 1919. And this was at the same time when he was negotiating the Treaty of Versailles, which is what ended World War I. So one of the most important things that's happened in our history, and he had the fucking Spanish flu. I cannot even picture if we just take the current COVID-19 scenario and say what if this was happening right as a world war was coming to an end like both oh my lord a lot of intense things at the same time are too many yeah maybe that was stupid to say but it like it's the truth like when so many difficult things happen at the same time it's almost intensified all of them are intensified so the first wave of the spanish flu was in 1918 in the springtime this was actually pretty mild it was more like your yearly flu people would get sick and they'd have like chills and fever and they'd be really tired but after a couple of days they would recover and the death was really low so that's your basic flu so that was the beginning of this however a second very highly contagious wave of this flu appeared with a vengeance in the fall of 1918. So it's like summer happened, maybe it killed off this easy flu and helped bred a monster fucking flu. So this virus was, like I said, carried by World War I soldiers returning home from Europe. And so this violent virus spread first to Boston and New York, then Philadelphia And then it traveled west before it got to St. Louis and San Francisco. Victims would die within days or hours after developing symptoms. Their skin would turn blue, their lungs would fill with fluid, and they would suffocate. Holy shit. And in just one year, in 1918, the average life expectancy in America dropped by 10 years. Wow. Because of the flu. That's how many people were dying. So a few stories that have been shared of people's lives in 1918. One is a group of four women. One night they were out at someone's house playing bridge together. It was late at night. And then overnight, three of them died from the flu. Holy shit. So they're feeling well enough to like 
let's go to Margaret's house and play bridge. And a, in 24 hours, they're dead. Three. Three of the four dead. Wow. There are other stories of people on their way to work. They suddenly started getting flu symptoms and they died within a few hours. There were physicians that wrote that patients with seemingly pretty ordinary flu symptoms, they would start rapidly developing this vicious type of pneumonia that they had never seen before. Then they would start struggling for air and suffocate. Another physician recalled a flu patient that they had that died struggling to clear their airway, and they had this like blood-tinged froth that was coming from their nose and mouth. Oh my god. So when you talk about the flu, this one is like the fucking flu on steroids. Like, this was bad. Yeah. I mean, the worst flu I had, I was just... I mean, what I would say at the time, miserable for two or three days in bed being like, oh, I feel like shit. And that's it. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but I have I laugh because I've been there. Yeah. That has also been my flu experience. And I do think whatever I had that what I mentioned earlier in college when I was really dehydrated was probably a strand of the flu. Yeah. I don't really know. But, and I don't really know because I don't really remember But I mean, I've had the flu and it's horrible. It is one of the worst like illnesses you can get. But that is something that you normally can take care of by yourself at home. Yeah. I mean, the flu has never been something that has worried me. And like, yeah, I haven't had it in quite a few years because I make sure to get vaccinated every year Mm -hmm. because it's literally so easy. Most of my jobs I have will be like, we have Sally from Walgreens. Give it. There's a lot of Sallys in my mind, but she's (laughs) given flu shots or you just go to Walgreens. But even still, when I've gotten it, it's never been like a thing. And I mean, this is coming from someone who's never had sick leave. I mean, it sucks, but it's like a two day thing. Yeah, that's generally what it is. It's something that it comes, it hits, and then it goes. But God, bloody froth. I know, those are two words I never want to see together again. No. So eventually the world obviously had to start fighting back. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I guess National Geographic, not the Avengers. And now, tonight, we're going to talk about the 1918 flu hit. And doctors and scientists were unsure what caused this strain of the virus, and they didn't know how to treat it. Trish, with you. I'm Trisha McAnalvey, sitting out here in Washington, D.C., outside the Senate office, which tonight lays dark, like much of the city. Lights throughout Washington are dark, because the city is under quarantine. I thought you were about to say, (laughs) and because the city is dark. Um, Yep, we know how darkness works. Okay, no. So when this 1918 flu hit, doctors and scientists were really unsure what was causing it, how to treat it, because unlike today, they did not have vaccines. There, There was no vaccine for the flu. There was no antiviral. They had nothing they could do to treat it. And actually, the first flu vaccine wasn't until ni- the 1940s. So there was really? still a while. <laughs> yeah, there was still quite a bit of time that needed to pass before they ever had this. Because I know technically the first vaccine was against smallpox. Vaccine actually comes from Latin for cow, vaca. Wait. I'm, I'm getting there. So, oh, okay. Um, 
this one dude whose name I don't remember noticed that like dairy maids wouldn't get smallpox, but they would get something called cowpox from like milk and cows. And it was like chicken pox where it's like you got it, but it wasn't a big deal. Smallpox like was very deadly. Smallpox killed so many people and is why it's the only disease that we've ever completely eradicated. But dairy girls not a show whatever they wouldn't they it's would get like, i was about to say that's totally a fucking show and i've never watched it but so it is. the dairy girls they would get the cowpox no they'd get cowpox but they wouldn't get smallpox and so this scientist dude he was like hmm you know if they if if getting cowpox which is like chill means you can't get smallpox let's see if that's a thing so he took some like five-year-old boy who lived in the town cut open his arm and put like pus from a cowpox pustule in his arm the kid got cowpox and then you know after the kid got healthy again from having cowpox he cut him open again and gave him smallpox and i literally that's not how medicine That is so unethical. But he didn't get smallpox because he'd been inoculated. But that's where the first vaccine technically comes from. Because cowpox came from the Latin word vaca, vaca for cow. That's your fun fact of the day. That's too much fact. I don't like it. But it's it's relative. It's related to this. Yeah. But as far as the Spanish flu... There's no vaccine. There are no antibiotics to treat any secondary bacterial infection that you might get because of the flu. And so the only control the world had were non-pharmaceutical interventions such as isolation, quarantine, having good personal hygiene, using disinfectants, and limiting public gatherings, which these were applied pretty unevenly. Which, I mean, doesn't that sound like reality right now? Yeah. Although, when you were saying, like, non-medical, I was scared you were going to be like, and they found the cure was lavender and sage placed under a crystal facing north. <laughs> and that that did it. it. It just did. And I would have so, so many people to look in the eyes and be like, I'm sorry. I guess you were right. I'm sorry, you know Jill what? Stein. Your rose quartz. It did it. You're right. Mubby. All right, well, stop shitting all over the power of crystals and earth and rocks, and don't give me that fucking face. I can see it. Listen, I think they're pretty, but, um... Stop interjecting your negativity on the energy of the earth, and I'm going to continue my case. Okay. So obviously, there are some cities that fared far worse than others, but when you look back, there's some evidence that the earliest and most well-organized responses slowed the spread of disease, at least for a little bit. And then there were the cities that dragged their feet and didn't really put up any type of barricades, and they paid a heavier price for that. So what you're saying is, these cities that were successful, in a way, were flattening the curve? They were absolutely flattening the curve, and that's actually something I will dip into a little bit later. Okay. Like I said at the beginning, you could almost literally interchange 1918 flu with COVID-19. Yeah. And it's a very similar situation that we're currently in, and we'll see if it goes along the same path or not. Yeah. I know you said that at the beginning, but it just... I mean, I guess I didn't fully believe how much it would be like 
oh, shit, yep. Well, let me describe these cities, and it's going de- to seep in a little more. So in Philadelphia, by mid-September, the Spanish flu was spreading like wildfire through the army and the navy installations. But Wilmer Krusen, who was their public health director, he was assuring public that the soldiers who were sick were only suffering from your regular old seasonal flu and that it was definitely going to be contained before infecting anyone else. Like it was just the soldiers coming back, they've got the flu. What a political leader totally trying to minimize everything and, in fact, fucking up things so much. Oh my god, what's that like? Let me pour another glass. Oh, um, exactly, but, uh, also... Oh, oh, well, you're pouring that glass quite, quite high. Okay, It's aerated. (laughs) It's an aerated full glass of wine that is half a bottle of wine. So as the civilian numbers of infections started to climb every single day, Cruzen refused to cancel this upcoming Liberty Loan Parade that they had scheduled for September 29th. Infectious disease experts, they warned Cruzen that the parade, which they were expecting to attract a hundred or like several hundred thousand Philadelphians, they were saying this is going to be like a really hot spot for a virus spread. Like, this is a bad situation. Cruzen insisted that the parade must go on because it was going to raise millions of dollars for war bonds. And he was just playing down the danger of the virus spreading. He's like, "It's we're fine. We're going to have the parade. It's no big deal. Just 72 hours after the parade, 31 of Philadelphia's hospitals were full and 2,600 people were dead by the end of the week. Holy shit. Yeah, 72 hours, that's what? Three days. Three days. However, in St. Louis, the public health response was very different. Before the first case of the Spanish flu had even been reported in the city, health commissioner Dr. Max Starkloff, he had physicians on high alert, and he published an editorial about the importance of avoiding crowds. He knew this was coming, and he was trying to get the word out to the public that they needed to not all be together. So when the flu outbreak happened at a nearby military barracks, and it started to spread into the St. Louis population... Skarkloff wasted no time closing schools and movie theaters, pool halls, and banning all public gatherings. And there was pushback from business owners, but Skarkloff and the mayor held their ground. They were like, no, we absolutely have to do this. This is for the safety of our city. And so when infections swelled, as were expected, thousands of sick residents there in St. Louis were treated at home by a network of volunteer nurses. And because of these precautions that were taken in St. Louis, public health officials were able to flatten the curve and keep the flu epidemic from exploding overnight like it did in Philadelphia. And I mean, at this time, 1918, St. Louis, I think, was like the ninth biggest city in the U.S. It was a big city. I mean, it was a one of those cities that was in between the New World and the West. Yeah. This example, just going to go off in a tiny little tangent, and then I'll bring it back into the flu. This is why things are going on right now, and and the, the way they are, and it sucks, but it is what it is. And it really shows that if you 
limit your exposure to other people, it will flatten the curve and it's going to be better off for you and where you live. And you can get creative and learn different fun recipes. You really want a chicken tikka masala? I mean, first off, check see if Uber Eats. See if you can support local, <laughs> get them to deliver it. If Buy not, it from somewhere. <laughs> uh, if not, try make it yourself. No, that's so true because honestly, one of the things I plan on doing right now is making homemade pasta and I'm really excited about it. It's I, so um, easy and so fun. Well, that's going to be part of my quarantine dinners. I'm going to be eating better because I'm going to be making all of it. Just make sure you use King Arthur bread flour and good eggs. Well, it's eggs from Daddy's chickens, so they're the best eggs. They're the best eggs. (laughs) Yeah. Another thing that was making things really difficult and complicating things was that after World War I, certain parts of America were left with a shortage of physicians and other health workers. And a lot of the available medical personnel in the United States, they actually got the flu themselves. I mean, yeah, I would imagine a lot of the medical people joined the war effort, which would make them prime candidates to be the ones bringing the flu home. And that's not just, that's not even counting the people who weren't in the war just getting the flu because they work in hospitals where the sick people are. Exactly. So people were picking it up and hospitals in some areas were so overloaded with flu patients that schools, private homes, and other buildings had to be converted to makeshift hospitals. And some of them were even staffed by medical students because the doctors were sick. Officials in some communities imposed quarantines. They ordered citizens to wear masks, shut down public places, including schools, churches, and theaters, like I mentioned earlier. And people were even advised to not shake hands, stay indoors, libraries put a halt on lending books, and regulations were passed banning spitting. So if you were spitting, there were literally like Boy Scouts that were going around giving you tickets. They were like, stop spitting. It's gross, number one. I'm like, number th- <laughs> regardless of disease, just keep people from spitting on the street. Because sometimes, know. you know what? My ass wears sandals. Or, <laughs> I don't know, sometimes you are walking by, I don't know, someone walking to work. And that someone walking to work is wearing shorts and is just, just trying to enjoy his day. And you turn your head to spit without realizing that person walking to work is right next to you. And then you spit on their leg. And then you don't say sorry because you're an asshole. And you just keep walking. And now I have your stranger <laughs> spit on my leg. You're, I don't even want to touch it to wipe it off. But I have to. What the fuck am I supposed to do? I'm also not in a building. I don't have tissues. I don't have napkins. So now I have to wait to get to somewhere that has those while this man's loogie runs down my leg into my sandal. (laughs) This clearly sounds like a personal experience that is literally hell in Austin. (sighs) Well, and I also saw a clip on Facebook and it was like, It was titled The World's Shortest Horror Movie. And it was literally, there's a crowd of people, they're all wearing masks. And one guy starts coughing, he takes his mask off, and he spits onto the ground. And it's like a pool of water because it's raining. And then the next scene is a bus driving by, and that pool of water splashes everyone, and it ends. And like, literally, it's like, y'all, if you needed to see how uh, infectious diseases spread... There you go. 
Uh, that is definitely a candidate for the world's shortest horror movie. I would say the other one being a text from a friend you really don't want to see. That's like, surprise, I'm at your door. That's, <laughs> and it that's is. another shorter <laughs> horror movie. It is. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is it's interesting how it so in my research, I found like libraries stopped lending books. And to me, that was one of the things that I didn't really think of until literally today, I got an email from my library. And they were saying, you can pick books up. So like books they already have, you can totally pick it up. They're doing curbside, they're working it out but they have closed off their return bins and they were like, we're not like fees will not be applied. You do not need to worry if something's late. We're not going to charge you, but they won't accept anything back. Oh, and I currently have like four library books and I don't know how long I'm going to have them. Stop it. Books are great. Says the nerd with glasses. Also, libraries support your local library. Oh, I mean, yes. Tyler, let me be on my pedestal. I know you're like, you disagreed, then agreed. You're flip-floppy. You're like a fucking dying fish. Like, um, boop, 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 boop. Okay, no, but- support your local <laughs> libraries, but books are lame. Try motorcycles with new helmets and drugs. No, don't. But literally- don't forget about your library. Like, there are so many good books coming out. And if you're ever concerned that you can't read them or keep up with them or whatever, you totally can. Like, go to your library. It's free. It is 100% free. Also, if you're ever in a city you're unfamiliar with and you don't have Wi-Fi for some reason, go to the library. If you need to print off something, go to the library. God, that's so real because, I mean, for me at least... I I don't own a printer. So back to Spanish flu 1918. Yes. So this flu obviously took a very heavy human toll. It would wipe out entire families. It would leave countless widows and orphans. People were dying everywhere. So this Mm. was extremely impactful people's everyday lives. Funeral parlors were completely overwhelmed with bodies. They were piling up. There were too many, they could not service them all, and so a lot of people had to dig graves for their own family members. Oh. Which is literally one of the worst things I could ever imagine in your entire life. Yeah. The flu was also very detrimental to the economy. And so in the United States, businesses were forced to shut down because a lot of their employees were sick. So by the summer of 1919, This flu pandemic came to an end, finally, as those who were infected either died or developed some type of immunity to the flu. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess if that much of the world gets infected, that's going to do a big benefit to herd immunity. Well, it's literally like, it's almost the situation of every single person got it, and you either died or you didn't, and if you didn't, It's because your immune system was able to fight it. So you had an immunity to it. And then the people who didn't ever get it at the end of the day are now surrounded by people who did get it and survived and no longer have it. So herd immunity. So although the death toll for the Spanish flu, it's generally estimated at 20 to 50 million victims worldwide. A lot of other estimates 
run as high as 100 million victims, which is about 3% of the world's population. But the exact numbers, like, we really don't know because of the lack of medical record keeping that were in place at this time. We I have mean, no idea. Yeah, if a small, I don't know, farm town in Kansas, everyone died, you know, how traceable is that? How trackable is it? Exactly. And that was the situation everywhere. But almost 90 years later, in 2008, researchers announced that they discovered what made the 1918 flu so deadly. And it was a group of three genes that enabled the virus to weaken a victim's bronchial tubes and lungs and clear the way for bacterial pneumonia so it was all respiratory like Mm. that is what was killing everyone and since 1918 there have also been several other flu pandemics but none of them were as deadly but a couple other examples there was a flu pandemic from 1957 to 1958 that killed about 2 million people worldwide including about 70,000 people in the United States. There was also a pandemic from 1968 to 1969 that killed about a million people, and 34,000 were from the Americas. More than 12,000 Americans perished during the H1N1 or swine flu pandemic that occurred from 2009 to 2010. And that was, that was our high school time. Yeah. And the modern well, my, day... You were in college. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, honestly, when you get to my point in life, years just kind of blend together. And I'm like, yeah, sometime between the mid and late 2010s, I was in high school and college and whatevs. Uh, But yes, that was more so your high school time. A lot of these modern day pandemics, they brought a very renewed interest and attention to the Spanish flu, which is sometimes referred to as the forgotten pandemic. And it's called this because this spread of it happened uh, right around like all this deadliness of World War One, And so we've all heard about the Spanish flu. But when you really look at the numbers, I think it's kind of shocking. And people don't necessarily realize the impact it truly had, because a lot of people were already dying because of World War One. And honestly, yeah. the way I look at it is, you know, there was poor record keeping. But also, you combine those numbers. And I'm like, that is just an insane amount of people. World War One plus Spanish flu? Well, That's insane. I mean, two things. I mean, from everything you've said, it so- it sounds like more people died from Spanish flu than from World War One. It, it did. It did. Like, Spanish yeah. flu killed more people. So, as far as, like, just numbers, impact level goes, Spanish flu had a bigger one. But in the same way, with World War Two, you think about World War Two. But you don't necessarily think about the famines in Russia that were happening at the same time and immediately after that killed more people. Yeah. It feels like, at least right now in the moment, it kind of feels like this is the first time I can think of experiencing something like Spanish flu. I mean, yeah, we were around for swine flu, but... I mean, literally the biggest impact I can remember is they closed the like cheer practice room the swine flu did not affect our daily lives um the coronavirus 
is. And that is why I, at the very beginning, compared this to what we're going through right now, because while I was researching, it was just so relatable to like literally the daily life that I'm living in and all these things closing, all these things happening. And I'm like, oh shit, Mm -hmm. that's what's happening. But also when I talk about the difference in like Philadelphia and St. Louis, it makes sense. Flatten that curve, baby. Yeah. I mean, I guess listeners... If y'all were around for the pandemics in the 50s and 60s, or if you have family and friends that were, I mean, I guess let us know how that compares because looking through all this and hearing your case, I can't think of something that is this similar to what we're going through now since the Spanish flu. But, you know, I also know there definitely could be epidemics that and pandemics that I'm not fully aware of or fully versed on that had a similar kind of impact. Well, that is my case of the Spanish flu in 1918. It was a monster, man. Yeah. It did a lot of damage. Yeah. Right. Uh, I postmortem. Postmortem. Let's do it. You know, here's where I'm at. All right, I tell thought me. when you first said your case, I was like, okay, well, mine has sort of more of a true crime lens, but not really because yours was a war. But, you know, kind of going along that, that facet, I was like, that's a little more true crimey. Is Typhoid Mary a monster criminal? Whatever, whatever. And so, oh yeah, mine's mine's gonna win. But uh, the thing that I always stand by is we measure it on which case is more intense. And that is so clearly, obviously yours. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yours kind of hit a reset button on the world. Which is almost what's happening right now. Which not only makes it more intense because of the facts, but more intense because of their relevancy. Yeah, it's more relatable, but also... As intense and scary as things are right now, Spanish flu had a higher mortality rate. And so it was more impactful in that way, at least as of this recording. But you were more likely to have your friends and family come down with it. Yeah, more people, because there's 7 billion more people around today, more people are going to get coronavirus, but like that personality it hitting everyone not just in the impact of closures and change of life but in the impact of your friend died and your sister and mom got sick you and your dad were okay but you know your aunt her husband and their kids did die like that kind of impact so i i feel like you your case is the more intense i don't know what are your thoughts i've been talking non-stop I know, I was just getting waiting for like a moment to jump in. I actually completely agree. When we originally started this episode and you said you were doing Type Ford Mary, I was like, oh shit, well there we go. Like he's actually talking about a person and her impact on this. But when it comes to the Spanish flu, there are so many Typhoid Marys that are in what happened and how it spread to so many people that it almost seems as if typhoid mary is an example of how quickly an infectious disease can spread mm-hmm. and mine is an example of and this is what it can do mine is the personalized case whereas yours is the overarching narrative exactly yeah no i will agree mine was more intense okay. and so you can pick the topic for next week 
Honestly, I'm totally okay with that, because you know what that means? That means I'm picking the topic for our 100th episode, because this was episode 99, and boom. Yeah, honestly, that is amazing, and I can't believe we're already at 100. Yeah, and we will obviously go into it very much next episode, but the fact that this is episode 99, the next episode we're recording is episode 100, blows my mind. Mine too. Mine too. And I feel like that can be our positive note is that like, dude, 100 coming up next episode. Episode 100. But um, (laughs) if y'all enjoyed this episode, let us know what you liked. Head over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. We love hearing what y'all have to say, seeing what y'all think. And yeah. Also, be sure to like and follow us on social. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'd love to chat with you, so send us a message. Let us know what you think. Also, Instagram has all of the wines that we feature, so if you're Mm -hmm. curious about what they look like, you can go check it out there. Yes. And with that, thank you all so, so much. This is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye. Bye.